in three, two, one. If you really want to hire the best person for the job, you need to make sure you're attracting the largest pool of candidates for the right reasons and evaluating their skills, competencies, and experience independent of bias. To create or build an organization centered around exclusivity, where employees can show up authentically, access opportunities equally, and be empowered to realize their potential in a safe and respectful environment, diversity, equity, and inclusion should be a priority. To help us understand how a DEI strategy can give us competitive advantage is my guest, Jillian Cruchel. Well, hi, Jillian. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Hi, Michael. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's start this way. Our topic today is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and your mm-hmm. firm specializes in that for small, mid-sized companies. It's a hot topic in today's world. But before we go there, let's talk about your background. How did you move into DEI as a topic or an area of focus within your organization? Yeah, absolutely. I have a about a 15-year corporate career working in different sizes of organizations, but all of them happen to be very fast-paced growth organizations. Mm -hmm. Some of them were more entrepreneurial, some of them were more corporate, but I found myself in the early stages of COVID laid off and thinking about my future and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to work on. And at that time, I had had enough career experience to recognize that some of my perhaps negative experiences with how I engaged with organizations were not unique and that other women were also experiencing them. And so I started just doing a lot of reading and learning about gender equity in Canada was where it all began. And then eventually that expanded. But basically what I recognized during that time is that we have a lot more work to do than a lot of people think. And we are a lot farther behind than a lot of people think. And so as somebody who has lots of experience in in business, um, I just recognized how much opportunity for improvement there was. And I started a company. That's excellent. Well, good for you. So a lot of positives came out of COVID. So that's interesting. And it's a very hot topic. We do a lot Mm -hmm. of work with HR firms in US and Canada, and they're scrambling to put in DEI programs, making sure that people are educated, because there's some good reasons, which we're going to explore in our episode today, why that's important. I was born in the 60s and diversity and inclusion were started in about 1968. We started seeing it with women coming into the workforce. And of course, it expanded after we had the civil rights movement in the United States. I mean, black folks didn't get the right to vote till 1964, 65, Mm -hmm. women in 1920. The U.S. was really slow to get there. And we're still not where it ought to be. We know that women doing the same job are paid typically about 18% less. There's still lots of issues and questions, which we'll explore and talk about it. But let's define our terms as they relate in 2022. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, how would we define each of those? I'll say that the acronym DEI is always changing. People have all sorts of different ones. Some use J-E-D-I, some use I-D-E-A. But I think the best way to think about it to start is that diversity 
is a fact of the world that we live in, especially in North America and also with all the access we have to each other through the internet now. Diversity is not a state that you're trying to achieve as much as it is a reality of the world that we live in right now and your workplace. Yes, we can seek to hire more diverse candidates, but all of us from an organizational perspective are dealing with diversity to some extent. Inclusion is actually having an environment where people are feeling like they belong, like their contributions are adding value, like they can show up authentically in some level, and like they're going to be supported even when they make a mistake in the workplace. And what about equity? Equity is an interesting one because people often confuse it with equality, but the concept of equity is actually putting everybody on level playing field and recognizing the differences in their abilities and what it takes. So if you think about equality, we think about putting everybody at the same starting line. Okay. Say we're running a race and men, whether they're white or black, women, people with disabilities, everyone's on the starting line. But at the end of the day, if you have someone who doesn't have what they need to actually run the race, then it's not equitable. So that's giving somebody with a disability the ramp to get up to the starting line and making sure that there's a full course that's completely accessible to there. They're not disadvantaged from the get-go. They're starting at an equal place. Yeah, exactly. So that's why equity is important. It's important to kind of bring that apart from equality in this context. It's very popular, like I said, within organizations. Are we seeing progress? Are you seeing that in your work and with the clients that you work? And I know you work with small, mid-sized enterprises. Are you seeing progress in companies that employ a DEI strategy? We use that acronym just for our purposes. Yeah, I definitely am seeing progress. I'm also seeing like a much bigger level of awareness. I feel like before COVID, we were aware, but then we just got sideswiped by this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> and we were trying to do everything we could to just stay in business, keep our job, adapt to what the pandemic brought us. So now that we're knock on wood coming out the other side of that, companies are really being like, okay, we need to focus in on this now. So I'm definitely seeing progress in terms of awareness and desire to make an impact. And then Within the organizations that I'm working with, I'm definitely seeing progress, but I'm a little biased there. (laughs) Good. No, we appreciate that. You say in some of your work that creating a safe, respectful, and inclusive working environment is both an ethical choice, a good moral choice, but it's also good business. What, what Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I've come from a very conservative background. Okay. I'm born and raised in Alberta. And I feel like I bring a little bit of a right wing lens onto this work that is typically considered left wing because I've worked in enough environments to understand that having people who are engaged, fully productive, and loyal to your business long term is an absolute game changer in what you're going to be able to achieve. And so I really recognize that creating these inclusive spaces leads to those kinds of outcomes. It leads to people who aren't turning over every two years. It leads to people who are focused on their work instead of focused on the toxic jokes that their boss made that make them feel uncomfortable about being here. And so I really see this as a huge competitive advantage, especially in the marketplace today, where even employees are like, do you have this? Then no, I don't want to work here. We've really come to a place where both consumers and employees are voting with their feet based on your values. And so 
to me, this is a non-negotiable business decision to make at some point too. Sure. Now you mentioned, you know, in Alberta, in Canada, which tends to be prairies, it's kind of like the Midwest is down in the United States and our mm-hmm. listeners are all over North America. Geographically, does it make a difference where we are geographically within a company? For instance, if we're in say Toronto in Canada or Montreal, I remember out West, for instance, years ago, if you were from Quebec, a lot of people were migrating out West there was a bias towards hiring Quebecers. In the United States, we see it, depending on where people come. We see people coming south of the border and come in and work or refugees. And so I live in Arizona and we have a business office there. I see the same type of things and hear the same kind of references. So geographically, does the involvement, I guess, is where I'm looking for here. Does it matter where we live and the type of culture that we're in? Yeah, I think that different regions are going to have those inherent biases that are set from our childhood in a lot of cases, it's going to be based on who we were interacting with the most. I would also say that I'm seeing a very wide spread bias on just people that are new to Canada and how we welcome them into our job market or fail to do so. But yeah, I think where you are and what the current events are in that location impact how you choose to approach this work for sure. Being aware and then realizing that we grow stronger through diversity, not weaker through it. And I know one of the visions of your organization is really to create companies or businesses that are centered around inclusivity, where Mm -hmm. you use the word employees can show up authentically and access opportunities equally and then be empowered to realize their potential in a safe and respectful environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really focus on, and I mean, our business name is Inclusion by Libra because I really feel that cultivating that inclusive environment leads to all the other outcomes that you want. If your staff feel safe and valued and like they belong, then they're going to stay for a long time. They're going to be productive. You're going to attract more better talent. You're going to attract more diverse talent, but all of the work really sits in creating the inclusive environment first and foremost. Is there a starting point for creating? So let's say I'm a small business and we just got our feet off the ground. Maybe we started through COVID and we're employing people. We're doing all the, you know, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We got to get the basics Mm -hmm. done first, get the revenue coming in, and then we can work towards our self-actualization or Mm -hmm. that higher EQ, if you will, where we start to pay attention to that. And I know you have companies that you've done work for where similar situations, and then they've employed DEI strategies, policies into the work environment, and I've seen some real benefits from it. Mm-hmm. Is there a good starting point? Yes. Depending on where you are in your journey, like we typically start with some level of assessment because any of your DEI strategy really needs to be educated by the voices of your people. So surveys, and- surveys, assessments, and... Yeah, exactly. We do sometimes focus groups. We do one-on-one interviews. We review exit interview data, and we really look at some different data points to build a baseline, right? Because we want to be able to tell when we're making progress. And it's also really important to note there that we're really focused on bringing in different voices to represent different marginalized groups sometimes when we're doing education. But at the end of the day, in your organization, you need to hear the voices of your people. And so instead of maybe focusing on bringing in those kind of tokenized 
speakers focus on creating an environment where your people feel that they can speak up honestly and their feedback will be considered and taken seriously. Well, when you do assessments or you do surveys, I'm assuming the information that comes back to you is anonymous so people can speak freely, right? Mm-hmm. And or feel safe in at least giving an answer with judgment from maybe the higher ups. Now, let's say that you're an HR leader and you're mm-hmm. the only person of color on the leadership team. How can you help move DEI forward without the perception of it being a personal agenda? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question, Michael, because there is a lot of research that shows that when somebody who is part of a marginalized group tries to fight for this progress internally, they are often punished throughout their career path. So there is a lot of fear and anxiety and rightfully so about being the one to put the hand up and be like, Hey, we need to do this. I think from that perspective, it's really important to focus on the business case. And that's one of the reasons why I'm focused on the business case, because business leaders, if they are made in the way that most of our business leaders are right now, they may not feel personally targeted by some of this marginalization. So they may not be able to understand that perspective, but helping them understand how it's going to make the company more competitive overall is really important. And you make a point there. It's like, how can we improve diversity among senior management when turnover at that level is relatively low? I was reading one stat just recently, 25% of the top 1,000 companies are female-led or females leading on the C-suite. Mm -hmm. Uh, As of 2020, when the pandemic hit, I think it was top Fortune 500, there's only three black CEOs, right? Mm -hmm. And for years, we didn't see it, you know, in leadership coaching positions. The NFL, you couldn't be a black quarterback until we had guys like Warren Moon and others that came on board and broke that ceiling, if you will. Now things are changing. And I remember hearing comments, whatever your sport is, whether it was hockey or basketball, what are the cases? So I think we've got to improve and get that initiative at the highest levels. Now, it's a shame that we should be doing it for profitable reasons, but there's lots of profitable reasons why we should do it and competitive Mm -hmm. advantages. And you talked about a couple of them. So let's talk about the fundamentals of what DEI can look like. So there's a good starting point. So let's say I'm a small business and I'm going, all right, this is an issue for me. I think we want to get on the right side of this. We want to bring in some folks that maybe outside of our comfort zone that don't look like me, that don't think like me. And mm-hmm. just a sidebar to that, one time I was speaking to an audience in um, the United States and there was about 150, 200 sales folks. Most of them were men. They mm-hmm. were all over six foot and white, good looking. And I just went, what's wrong with this picture? I felt inadequate. And being 5'11", I was short just a couple of inches. But it was like, wow. And there was just no diversity. And I know certain industries, that's normal. And a lot of people have a problem with even changing the terms. You know, how do we bring that in at the organization? What's a good starting point? What are some of the fundamentals we should be paying attention to? Yeah, so I think one thing that you can always focus on continually is just building awareness and educating your team. So we need to definitely recognize that a lot of us potentially growing up haven't had a lot of opportunity to engage with difference. You know, our neighborhoods, like we're quite siloed. I find you go to school with people who are like you, who live in neighborhoods, who are like yours, who go to the same universities. And it's really easy to stay in this little bubble and make good friends with people that 
you feel like get you and move along. So I think just building people's awareness is a really important first step. You can't expect somebody to dive into a super sensitive conversation on politically polarized issues and have it go well if you're not building their vocabulary and building their knowledge. Mm. And so just focusing on some pretty general, even a lot of people like diversity, equity, and inclusion, like those terms, you can't just expect people to know what that means and how that plays out. So we often would start with some pretty high level knowledge building. We also do a lot of inclusive leadership training. So really focusing on building the management's capacity to lead in a way that they can lead by example and have these really sensitive conversations with diverse employees and just preparing them to handle those interactions in a positive way. Mm, Very good. Well, it's like we are attracted to our tribes, right? We want to hang out with the people we hang out with. And I think you addressed it with the assessments. How can a business leader identify systemic and institutional inequities, right? And Mm -hmm. because you need assessments, you need data, you need listening tools and feedback, if you will. Mm -hmm. And whether it's through your HR department or they hire companies and firms like yourself, And with Libra, where you'll come in and you'll do those assessments, I'm assuming, and then you report back anonymously, like, do you find you get the kind of data you're looking for? Yeah. And often why companies choose to bring in a third party is because there's a level of fear. And often sometimes there's not trust internally. Like if you don't have that trusting, inclusive environment already, then going to your employees and being like, you can tell me it's okay. They're like, yeah, sure, sure I can. So bringing someone in who's focused on this work They don't work with you. They don't report to your boss. They don't, you know, have the same conflicts of interest. You can sometimes get a little bit more honesty. And then I aggregate and anonymize all of the information so that nothing that I'm bringing back to the leadership team can be directly attributed to any one person. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Jillian Cruchel. Once a company gets started down on a path, then are there some good roadblocks or what are the roadblocks that they're going to run into that help and maybe stop or slow down the process? Or are there things they should be paying attention to that could derail the whole initiative? I would say there's kind of three phases you can consider it in, like the assessment of your internal state, which also involves looking at things like how do you handle performance management and how is your employee engagement and all these things really first focusing on the internal state. Then the next step is, okay, now we're ready to bring in more diverse talent because we feel that our internal house is in order. And so let's focus on recruitment and selection and how we can expand our talent pool from that perspective. And then third, 
maybe you are ready to become a community leader and get involved more publicly in stuff related to this. But I would say a big roadblock would just be expecting it to like happen overnight and just be like a switch you can flip and then move along. It's a progress. And it's also something you can't just do once. You have to keep showing your commitment over time. And you're going to show your commitment by how you deal with issues that come up. Right. So it's really about getting the leadership team on board, getting the information to them so they can make proper decisions for their organizations, creating Mm -hmm. a safe environment for people to be able to respond, and then looking at it from a leadership perspective at how DEI in all areas of the business and how it impacts all areas, even a job description. So how can we include DEI in our job descriptions and interview processes while hiring? I believe it's being transparent and having the conversations with people, but is there a strategy that you would recommend? Yeah. So First of all, you want to consider the language that you're using and the way that it's going to impact people who are potentially looking at it. So there's a lot of cool tools online that you can use to flag like gendered language, for example. So terms that when someone reads them, a lot of sales roles, for example, are written in a very masculine coded language. So when a female candidate reads that posting, she might automatically be like, nope, this isn't for me. Like even if she has the skills and experience. So we work to really build job descriptions that A, are super clear what you're getting involved in, what is expected of you. Best case scenario, if you can put some compensation information on the job posting, ideal because people need to know what they're applying for. You can waste so much time interviewing people who aren't on the same page as you. Then we consider like, let's put this out in more places than where we normally do. So there's so many DI focused job boards, whether it's for different industries, whether it's for different regions. So look at different ways that you can proactively recruit diverse talent, post places other than just LinkedIn and Indeed. I know that those are the go-tos, everybody uses them, but there's other ways that you can show that you're desiring to bring in a more diverse pool of talent. Yeah, I've heard too, and I don't know what your thought is on this, where let's say maybe DEI is a new strategy for us. We're just starting our road to our path, our journey to implement it, to where Mm -hmm. we maybe talk about that and transparently in our interviews. We believe in diversity. We believe in inclusion. Is it important to have those conversations when maybe you don't have a large representation of people of different walks of life? Yeah, I would potentially frame it a little differently, maybe leave it for a little bit later in the process. Once you've already decided that this person is a good fit, right? you could bring it up as like a, Hey, just so you know what you're walking into, we aren't super diverse. We're committed to being diverse. We want your feedback on how things are going, but we want to be clear about this. I think doing that too early in the process could make them feel like a token hire. Yeah. What do you say to companies that say to you, well, we just want to get the best person for the job. And, (laughs) you know, like I remember this argument going to college where it's, well, hey, the best person should get in. But again, I read a book called White Privilege last summer and Mm. really, really interesting. And I've had some really good conversations with some of my friends going, well, no, whites aren't privileged. And I'm going, oh, yes, we are. And Mm -hmm. I could give lots of examples of that. And where we have biases, people just do. So it's recognizing that we have them and then evolving out of that and realizing, hey, there's opportunity for growth there. So what do you say to companies who say, we just want the best person. I don't care if it's male or female. We want the best person for the job, but it happens to be a male or a white male. What do you say to companies like that? I would say, sure you do. So does everybody. But that doesn't mean that that's what you're getting right now. 
Mm-hmm. because it's exactly what you said about bias. We have biases for people who are more like us. If you meet someone in an interview and they're wearing your favorite brand of shirt, you automatically feel more bonded to them. Or you figure out they play golf and you play golf this weekend, you're automatically more bonded to them. That does not make them the best person for the job. Right. You know, We also have tons of bias that are coming into play. Even when we're screening resumes, you see a name that you don't think you can pronounce and you start making all sorts of assumptions about how long have they been <laughs> in Canada? Do they speak English? Yeah. I don't even know how to say their name, so I'm just not going to call them at all. There's so many ways that throughout the interview process, we are filtering out candidates that are potentially the best for the job, but aren't fitting in with our biases. Sure. And so if you really want the best person for the job, then you will want to create a process that screens, assesses, and selects the best person for the job genuinely. How do we bake that diversity into our job description? Okay. So first of all, it's about the description, but then it's also about anonymizing the screening process. So There's some different pieces of technology now that you can view your applications without knowing their name and without seeing any photo if it's on it. So you're focused on what is their skills and experience. Then it's really important to ask the same interview questions to every single candidate. It's really important to have a scoring mechanism for how you're going to score these questions. And we use weighted average structure normally. So you can actually assess the total impact of their application and not just, oh, I really loved it when they said that one thing. It's also really important to have more than one person making decisions about hiring so that it's not just like, oh, you just hire your best friend every single time. Right. And it's learning. I know as an entrepreneur, I made a mistake early in my career where I was hiring people and I put an ad out and the ad said, I'm looking for young, bright, enthusiastic people to work within our company. And Mm. I had somebody phone up and said, what do you mean by young? And I went, well, 30s, 40s, somewhere in there, because I didn't want somebody older, just because it was a tech startup kind of thing. And boy, did I get an earful. And I thought, oh man, I better start checking out some of the rules here because we don't know as an entrepreneur, we're trying to get things going. And that's why we've got you on the program is because I know you're a great resource for small, Mm mid-sized companies and people can reach out to you and get some advice and make sure they don't make those mistakes. Because now with social media, once that gets out there, that can kill you before you ever get started. So I think it's critical and important. What are some of the creative ways then we can proactively source candidates from underrepresented communities so that they might not be on LinkedIn or Indeed or any of the different job sites? What are some other ways creatively that we could source them? First of all, there are recruiters who specifically look for those diversity hires. However, fundamentally, I don't really agree with that process. I think that we need to really focus on looking inward and making sure we have the environment to source those hires and also that we are taking steps to promote and develop the people that are already within our organization. But I use a lot of different job boards and also different groups that are focused on specific, like say I work with a group called Sheet Geek here in Calgary. They're focused on advancing gender equity in tech specifically. So they post jobs, tech-related jobs for a huge network of women that are in that space. Right. So, you know, engaging with those kinds of organizations locally that are doing the work and building the network and putting on events and stuff could be a really good place. Sure. 
Now, do you have any tips for recruiting for diversity when your company, say, located in a primarily Caucasian city? But let's say you don't have any funding to offer relocation. What are some strategies for finding diversity within our local communities? I mean, we have tons of diversity within our local community here. I think you'll be amazed at just the wide variety of candidates that we're getting. There's also a very steady stream of diverse candidates entering Canada all the time. I can't believe I worked at a career fair on behalf of a client the other week and probably 95% of the people at the career fair were just new to Canada and trying to get their start here. Yeah. So that's an interesting place to look to is like the different immigrant related organizations that are supporting people who are arriving here and trying to get their start. Sure. You actually just kind of raised it in our last point about the different pronouns that are out there. You know, I made a point of learning what the different pronouns are and how they apply. And why is that important? When I talk to people, mostly older white guys, and I ask them about it, they don't understand why that's such an important issue. So like Mm -hmm. I'm he and him and his are my pronouns that I identify. Talk Mm -hmm. to that a little bit, why it's important. And we see it now on LinkedIn and I notice even on your emails and your signatures, you have a reference to the community you live in or the land you live in as the mm-hmm. native lands of the indigenous folks here in Alberta and the different tribes that were here. So it's a good example of you know what we should do. But why is that important? So I think as with a lot of issues DEI related, you need to take an empathetic lens. And perhaps for you or I who identify alongside the pronouns that we were born with, it seems unnecessary. Right. But if somebody tells you, this is who I am, and you refuse to refer to them that way, it's really, it's really disrespectful is I think the best way to think about it. You know, even the fact we call them preferred pronouns, I prefer to go by this, but at the end of the day, this is something that's core to who that person is and who they feel that they are and how they show up and interact with the world. So as a very basic act of human decency, I believe that we can refer to people by what they're requesting to be referred to. Is there an appropriate way to ask? Like, as I started learning, I apologize for my first few attempts, but I would just simply say, oh, hi, my name is Michael. My pronouns are him and he. I said, do you have a pronoun preference? And I would only ask it if I kind of wasn't sure. In other words, maybe Mm -hmm. they were demonstrating or showing up in a certain way, which I thought, hmm, not sure where they are on the spectrum. Is there an appropriate time and a way to ask that we should be asking? I mean, I think just by introducing yourself and providing your own pronouns, you're creating that space to say, hey, this this is who I am. Tell me how you show up. Yeah, I do think that the best way is to just lead by example and be vulnerable yourself. And by doing that, you're showing that you're aware of this. You're aware, right. But you're not being like, tell me your pronoun right now, because maybe they feel uncomfortable. Maybe some people don't react the way they want to. So you're showing awareness when you demonstrate that you're aware of that issue. That was a good way to express it. You've created space for them to where if they want to share, it's there. Yeah, exactly. You went first. Now, you have an approach in your organization with Libra where you've created a four-step framework for designing and implementing an inclusion and belonging strategy. I think your approach is four steps, evaluate, execute, educate, and empower. Can we talk Mm -hmm. about that for a few minutes? And let's talk about each one. So the evaluation process, I think we touched on it. What's your approach to it? And then let's talk about number two, three, and four. 
Yeah. So these are kind of the steps that guide our work. And honestly, everything that we do is very customized and completely tailored to the organization. But we always want to start with the evaluation. Then execution is really about looking at, okay, where do I have internal processes that either need to be implemented? Do I need to put a policy in place right now? Do I need to think about recruitment and selection? Do I need to think about retention and advancement? Like what are the changes that I need to make to my systems and processes to potentially say, stop the bleeding if you're experiencing a lot of turnover or solve any issues. So the execution is about taking the information that we're getting from the assessment and making those changes. And then education is just the ongoing building of awareness and empowerment is taking it to the next level where we're looking at okay, are we building employee resource groups for our female employees, for our LGBTQ2S plus employees, for our Black employees? Are we creating mentorship or sponsorship programs? Are we providing budget for learning and development on these kinds of issues? What are the ways that we are now setting our employees up for absolute success and recognizing their unique qualities? When you mentioned education, are training programs or workshops more effective where you're bringing in people where they can actually dialogue. And I'm sure you see all kinds of responses, but mm-hmm. versus online or most people won't read books anymore. Are there some best practices when it comes to education? I really prefer to do in-person sessions because you can really generate that sense of shared humanity and people are more likely to be vulnerable in that sense. But then also some of the information people might not want to absorb in that environment. It depends what you're teaching. So some organizations, we do a book club if we're working on something relatively sensitive, like the concept of white supremacy, where people need time to digest this, take it away, think about how it applies to them before they're even ready to come back and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, sometimes people would just like to self-study and we record sessions that they can look through on their own time. Now, just kind of in wrapping up here in our last few minutes, buyers, the millennials, the Gen Ys, as they're evolving and they're inheriting millions and billions from families or whatever, when they actually go and look at companies now, they're actually looking at what their policies are. So it makes good economic sense, but socially it's huge, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the consumers are voting with their dollars, but also investors like ESG, which is a topic that I'm sure we could go on about for a whole separate episode. DI is at the heart of the social pillar of ESG because investors recognize that your company is more likely to last long-term if you're implementing this. ESG is environment, social, and governance, right? So it seems like DEI is almost a subset of that and part of it. And ESG, same with DEI, it seems there's like a political element to it, like almost everything is. Why is the politics come into it? Into DEI or ESG? Both, I guess, because it's in both, actually. We see it in both. It tends to be based on geographics. Are you seeing it in DEI as well? In ESG, I know we do see it, but in DEI, is that a thing too? Yeah, I mean, we're living in this weird state where we can get information about everything so quickly and we have so much community that's found in the internet now. Right. And a huge part of the reason why companies are even engaging in this kind of work now is a fear of being canceled because we live in this version of the world where 
you have a voice, but you can lose it as soon as you say something wrong. And so, yeah, I think that gives a political undertone to almost everything we're doing now. Sure. No, it's important. All right. Well, people can find you. The website is inclusionbylibra.com. We'll have all of your contact information, Jillian, in the show notes. And we appreciate you coming on board and sharing with us about DEI, how to get started, why it's important, and some of the benefits that come from it. And again, it's about education and awareness. And that really does help us become preferred as individuals within organizations and become preferred as places to come and work. And so we thought it was an important subject to cover. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Bess Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.